The ultra BLM revolutionaries are paid to make you believe real racism is BYU students shouting at a black Duke volleyball player, or that 10 questionable police shootings involving career criminals is a bigger problem than thousands of black men and boys killed by gang violence. It's a very profitable scam. But the deception should be obvious now in the aftermath of the Brooklyn Nets suspending Kyrie Irving for a tweet. The revolutionaries spit on Kyrie's free speech and freedom of religion. They co-signed his canceling. They would do the exact same thing to Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, Charlemagne the Fraud are cowards acting at the behest of corporate overlords. They're bought and paid for their controlled opposition. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday uh, to you and yours. Oh, oh my God, what a weekend. Uh, awesome weekend, awesome ending to Sunday night football with the Kansas City Chiefs knocking off the Tennessee Titans. I can keep my head high. I can uh, call and troll uh, Pastor Anthony, a hardcore Tennessee Titans fan. Uh, you know, although, Derrick Henry was awesome again last night. Uh, but anyway, as a longtime Chiefs fan, I can hold my head high here in Nashville knowing that the Chiefs own the Tennessee Titans. Uh, so it's been a great weekend. As we do on Mondays, we're going to talk some football. We're going to talk some NFL football with Steve Kim and Jason Brown. But we're also going to leave room to talk about my favorite topic and explore and go into even more in depth on this Kyrie Irving situation. I'm gonna unpack some more on this. There were things that happened yesterday, including CBS's NFL pregame show addressing this. We're gonna get into all of that and I'll bring on Royce White to talk about it. Uh, but we'll start with football and we'll clear the decks and, and make some room for Steve Kim to come in and help me talk about the NFL. But first, I wanna take care of uh, my good friends over at Good Ranchers. As the holidays approach, when our waists get bigger and our wallets get smaller, it's the season when most companies want you to spend all of your money, <laughs> but not Good Ranchers. They want you to save money. This is a time to save money and to get great deals. Beef prices are estimated to increase another 20% in 2023, continue the largest price spike on meat in recent U.S. history. Good Ranchers is letting you lock in your price on all the meat you buy this November when you subscribe during their Black Friday savings. With my code, FEARLESS, you can get their exclusive Black Friday offer of two free Black Angus New York Strip steaks. These are two 12-ounce steakhouse quality cuts that will absolutely blow you away in flavor, and you can get them for free at GoodRanchers.com FEARLESS. You'll inflation-proof your meat budget, get $70 worth of free USDA choice steaks, and save an additional $25 on every box when you subscribe. Thousands of five-star reviews show why so many people are ditching the high prices and low quality of their grocery store 
for Good Ranchers instead. Treat yourself or someone you love to Good Ranchers award-winning service and quality this holiday season. Remember to visit GoodRanchers.com fearless or use my code at checkout, fearless, to grab their best offer of the year. Black Angus is one of the premier breeds of cattle for high quality beef, so don't have a normal Black Friday this year. Have yourself a Black Angus Friday with two free steaks from Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. You guys know why you need to be supporting Good Ranchers because they support me, you, and American farmers. They support our way of life. You guys should be eating Good Ranchers. All right, uh, let's transition and talk some NFL football and let's talk about the Sunday night football game of the week, uh, Tennessee Titans, Kansas City Chiefs. My Kansas City Chiefs win 20 to 17 in overtime. Uh, Derrick Henry runs for 115 yards, I think on 17 carries. Uh, Malik Willis, uh, Tennessee's quarterback, whoo, five of 16 passing. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes, kind of the story of the night, threw the ball 68 times, incredible. Uh, Steve, <clears throat> I wanna start with you, or start here with this question about that game. Who were you more impressed by last night, the Tennessee Titans or the Kansas City Chiefs? And I asked that question because I have to admit, I was more impressed with the Titans than I was my Chiefs. I think to go in there and be that competitive without Ryan Tannehill says something about the Titans who were, who were on a five-game winning streak. Honestly, neither. I was impressed by the referees. Their ability to win that game for the home team <laughs> I mean, Andy Reid must have had six game balls and said, all right, line judge, umpire, referee, side judge. Good job, guys. Way to go. How about those Chiefs? That was ridiculous. Now, on a serious note, it's interesting. If you actually look at the statistics, which tell you something but not everything, yards, first downs, time of possession, all that stuff, statistically the Chiefs dominated that game. But I, I watched it in person the physicality of the Titans and the way they controlled about 50-some-odd minutes of that game playing left-handed with the backup quarterback that is not ready. It's one of the few times I've actually seen Patrick Mahomes flustered in the pocket. They were the bullies in there. That game had that sledgehammer to a butterfly type of feel to it. And for most of that game, I said to myself, that team in the white jerseys, Tennessee, the road uniforms, they're the better team. But the issue is, and this is how important a quarterback is, if the quarterback play was just even, the Titans win that game by two possessions. But because of the greatness and the transcendent skills of 15, he made that play and that game happened. That third and 17 on that important drive where he ran, I said, that's the difference. You just got that feeling like, oh, here it comes. But from a physical standpoint, taking away the stats in the final score, I actually was more impressed by Vrabel's unit. Okay, there was an interesting development that where a stat's coming out where teams now have adopted the strategy of don't blitz Patrick Mahomes. Mm. And the Tennessee Titans were the third team, I think, to not blitz Mahomes on or only blitz him on like 20% or less of his passing attempts. The guy threw yeah. the ball 68 times <laughs> last night. They could only put 20 points on the board, 17 in regulation. What do we make of the fact that one, teams aren't blitzing Mahomes, and that 
the Tennessee Titans, despite only throwing the ball five, 16 times, mm. despite only completing five passes, how could they even be in well, this game? Jason, this is not a new trend. If you go back to last year, me and you talked about this. I would watch Kansas City Chiefs games from last season, and you could see opposing defenses. Their safeties were not even on the screen. They were playing about as deep a cover two as I've ever seen. I called it the polo grounds. I've never seen safeties line up that deep in regular down and distance situations. There's no doubt about it. And now that you don't have Tyree Kill, who's ending up being, guess what? He kind of matters. Now there's not that overall threat that's going to take the top off the defense. The issue is, so this is nothing new, but as you found out on certain plays, if you're going to play that style of defense, and more and more units are now having a secondary spy that is built in, because that running threat is a killer. In years past, with guys, certain quarterbacks you would never think are going to run for 17 yards on third and 17. But you're asking defenders, even if you're dropping seven or eight players, you're asking a highly skilled and then athletic guy like Patrick Mahomes not to make a play when they sometimes get eight, nine, ten seconds to find somebody or do something. Uh, it's almost impossible to hold a guy down of that caliber for 60 minutes. But, Jason, I'll say it again, if they just would have gotten average quarterback play. You know that old line they said about uh, Michael Jordan? Who's the only Michael guy that ever could hold Michael Jordan under 20 points consistently? Dean Smith. Okay. Well, who's the only guy that could stop Derrick Henry? Malik Willis. Have you seen – look, and I like Malik Willis. Loved him at Liberty. But when you saw him play against Ole Miss last year, finally face an SEC defense, I said to myself, you know, at the next level, he's going to be a developmental uh, project because the system that they pl played under Hugh Freeze is very college. College to a point that is simplistic, and he's going to need some time to grow. He should not be in there right now, but circumstances dictate that he has to be. Jason, check this out. In two starts as an NFL quarterback, in 2022, he has less than a dozen completions. In two combined games, he does not have 150 yards passing. That is, that is acceptable for Jamel Holloway, J.C. Watts, Steve Taylor, maybe D. Dallas. But no, in the National Football League, your baseline, there are now, if you get a 250 yards, that's a bad game. Jason, in two games, he doesn't have 200 combined. You can't win like that consistently. Yeah, listen, which to me speaks to what a good job Mike Vrabel's doing. Yes. How physical Tennessee is, how great Derrick Henry is, and how, like, if Tannehill comes back and these two teams see each other in the playoffs, I would think Tennessee's going to win. I, I, these numbers, for this game to go overtime, we, we got some stats here about that you've mentioned. Total number of plays for the Chiefs, yeah. 91. Mm. 48 for the Titans. First downs, 29 to 9. Uh, passing attempts, 68 to 16. 43 to 5 completions. Time of possession, 41 minutes to 26. <laughs> How this game got to overtime blows my mind. Jason, I don't think – yeah, go, go Jason, ahead. If you're Malik Willis and the coordinator, okay, and you have that 22-wheeler, that big Bama slammer, you know you're getting heavy box fronts. 
I mean, they're probably running not eight-man fronts. They're probably running nine-man fronts and going man coverage. Did you see the tweets of A.J. Brown? He looked like a guy that escaped from Alcatraz laughing. What's going on? It's like, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm out of there. <laughs> they literally had zero completions to the wide receivers. If I'm in that room, I'm thinking, hey, hey, fellas, we're getting man coverage. There has to be a time. And, I, I, again, I'm going to say it again. Malik Willis is going to need time to develop, especially the intermediate passing game where you have to throw around and through and between defenders. You could tell he's very gun shy. Just the way he holds the ball and he tries to scramble, it just looks like a mess. But there are times that you have to loosen that defense and you go max protect and you make it real easy for Malik. One guy's going to run a fly pattern, a deep go, and then there's going to be an outlet. It's Look, you don't have to run any of this fancy Bill Walsh West Coast offense. Again, it's what you call a deep, shallow read. If the deep guy's not open or you don't want to pull it, dump it off. Because what they're running right now is an absolute waste of Derrick Henry, who I got to give credit to him. I'm going to raise his it factor. He's now a 20. Mia culpa. I was wrong. Thank it you. happens. Thank you. Thank this you. is what I do. I can admit when I'm wrong because it only happens once every decade. But you have a guy that you should ride to big things. However, um, this guy is an absolute truck. But you are pu putting a whole building on that back, and it's, it's, there's only so much one man can do. All right, so I think Indy and Buffalo beat the, the Chiefs without blitzing Mahomes. I think Indy, Buffalo, and Tennessee combined blitz Mahomes like 8% of the time on his pass attempts. That seems to be the way uh, to play Patrick Mahomes. I want to move on to the other or another interesting game or – really a collapse. What, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? Rodgers throws three interceptions and they lose wow. to Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions. Oh. So th the question here is, Steve, who's really done, and, and we're going to unpack this while doing an approval rating on, on Aaron Rodgers, but who's really done here? Aaron <sighs> Rodgers or the Green Bay Packers? They go hand in hand. Jason, me and you, we grew up with this, the most famous commercial of all time. Help! I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, the <laughs> Packers and Rodgers, they need life alert. They're done. That was terrible. And I never thought I'd see the day where Aaron Rodgers would be so careless with the ball in the red zone. And it's gotten to a point where they have so few weapons, they're running tackle eligibles. And then Aaron's throwing off his back foot, across the field, trying to throw 50-50 balls to big fellas. I'm just like, you know, watching him yesterday, and Aaron Rodgers is one of those few football players in a league that's defined by the shield and logos, that if he's on TV, I would say, you know what, Aaron Rodgers is on. I'm going to watch him. I've watched a lot of Packers game for someone that's in L.A. That's not a Green Bay fan. But watching him yesterday as he was melting down, it reminded me of this prize fight that took place in 1991, Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, at that point, was kind of fighting off and on. Every other year, he was retired, then he changed his mind. But then one day, he said, you know what? I'm going to go back down and wait. I'm going to face this young, hungry guy by the name of Terry Norris. Very talented, but people thought, okay, it's Ray Leonard against Terry Norris. And I'll never forget, the fight's at the Garden. It's on Showtime pay-per-view. And all of a sudden, in the second round, bang, Leonard went down like a sack of potatoes. And it just hit me. Ray, you're done. It's over. You're no longer the great Ray Charles Leonard. And he staggered home uh, with a 12-round decision. 
just did not have it. That's the sense that I got with Aaron Rodgers. And I have to tell you, that thing's a hot mess. And I blame everybody. Aaron, for not exactly being the type of teammates that other guys are going to rally around. Um, that last play, Jason, where they threw it into the end zone, I didn't know this. I saw one of the back of the end zone shots. First of all, they came off a timeout. They barely got the playoff. That thing looked like a hot mess. And then one of the they went empty backfield because everyone's throwing. One of their wideouts was A.J. Dillon, a 250-pound. I'm like, wait a minute. What are you going to do? Run a sluggo route? It just looks like a mess. And then O.R. Thou, Romeo Dobbs, promising playmaker, he's out. This is a complete systemic organizational failure. And some of it, yes, it's on the burden. It's on the shoulders of one Aaron Rodgers. All right, so let's go to our approval rating on Aaron Rodgers. Let's put some numbers uh, to your opinions. Uh, job performance, I'm right there with you. I think we ran a graphic. This is like Aaron Rodgers' worst game of his career. Uh, 53% completions, three interceptions. So as it relates to job performance, whew, I, I, I went with a four. Uh, mm. His his job performance is clearly in the toilet, and they've lost three or four games in a row. It, it's not it's not looking good for Aaron Rodgers. Look, the biggest part is, and I still think Aaron Rodgers has a lot of skills left. I think there is some physical erosion, which is to be expected. But that Bears defense, that's not exactly the '85 Bears. That's not the 2000 Ravens. Everyone has been putting up video game numbers on them. The Packers may have given Aaron Glenn another month or two of a reprieve. I got to give him a five. As much as I like number 12, you have been awful right alongside the rest of your offensive teammates. Mm. Uh, and I think we we're talking about the Detroit Lions defense yes. in reference to the Bears. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway I, I can't even – who – Chris Spillman, is that the greatest Lions uh, defensive player of all time? I'm trying to – I'm trying – Lem Barney Lem maybe? Barney. I think he's in the Hall Barney. of Fame. <laughs> Al Bubba Baker uh, maybe? Okay, yeah. I mean, you're reaching Yeah, here. not walking back. <laughs> Jerry Ball isn't walking back through that door. There's another one. Benny Blades. Uh, <laughs> Benny, very good player. He actually, Benny used to date a friend of mine. Uh, character uh, for Aaron Rodgers, I, I still, I love that he didn't take the vax, uh, so I'm still high on his character. Uh, I, 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 you know, he's just, anyway, I'll get, he's authentic and I think he's high character. I give him a 19 in character. You know, Jason, and I want people, our fine audience, to realize this. Me and Jason do not coordinate. We do not know each other's ratings. Uh, he is team immunized, and he stood strong against the mob. I gave him a 20. I still give him a lot of credit for what he did. And so he stood up to it. He said, God, dog it. You know what? It's my body, my choice, none of your business. I'm immunized. For that, I, I still got to mark him pretty doggone high. Uh, authenticity. I got him almost at perfect. I, he's kept it 100, 100, 100 uh, as far as I can. And I know that he misled and blah, blah, blah. Nah, he just wasn't playing y'all's game uh, when he said he was immunized. So I gave him a 24 in authenticity. Yeah, he misled a bunch of liars. You know what? I'm Team, I'm team Roger still, okay? Um, he is what he is. There's a couple of times I think he could have done things differently. Again, I still have some questions about how that Devontae Adams situation played out. And by the way, I got a solution for everyone involved here when it comes to A-Rod. I'd like to get to that. But I gave him a 20. I still think 
that he is a guy that you can trust. If, look, as bad as he's been, if you were to tell me next year, would you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback with the proper supporting cast, I would still say yes. And I think he's still a good face of the franchise. I gave him a 20. Uh, so now help me understand, given what you just said, I don't understand your it factor here. Yeah. This man is, was MVP of the league last year. Uh, he's a heartthrob. He, you know, he dates high-quality Instagram models and celebrities or whatever. He's got the long hair. What, just what you, you still would pay good money to go see him play. It factor, I got him at a 22. Uh, can you please justify your low score here? You know, you know I'll be honest. I kind of gerrymandered my ratings. I don't think he should have been blazing hot. Like right now, like if he's a stock – I'm not saying he's Enron in 2001, but he's not exactly Apple, so I had to kind of gauge it. I, look, it just kind of feels over in Green Bay. I gave him a 10 because right now, now it's kind of kind of sad. Look, I will be the first to tell you, last week I flubbed it on Derrick Henry. I have now changed that for the record. Derrick, you're now a 20. <laughs> I could change it next week. Uh, so I, I gave him a 10 because now when I look at his press conferences, I'm like, oh, God. Honestly, I feel bad You're for everyone You're still going to tune in and watch him next week. Watching him fail is just as exciting as watching him succeed or dang near. I guess it's sad. It's sad. Uh, so, that my, look, I just didn't think right now he's a blazing hot type of guy. Come on. we got to be honest about this. Come on. <sighs> well, I, I don't have him blazing hot. I got him at a grease fire, 69. You got Aaron Rodgers at candlelit. The man was MVP of the league last year. Still lost a home playoff game. By the way, Jason, I have a solution for everyone involved. Uh, call me the Asian Chuck Woolery. I'm going to do a love connection here. Look, <laughs> Devontae and Aaron had a great thing going, right? I mean, they, they, they were like running DMC. They, 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 were, they, they were unbelievable. Okay, they were Laurel and Hardy. Captain and Tennille. They were Captain and Tennille. Yeah, yeah, Captain and Tennille. Sonny and Cher. EPMD. Ike and Tina. Well, yeah. (laughs) Maybe not that. A little volatile. (laughs) Everyone needs a fresh start. I think Devontae is finding out uh, winning kind of matters. Had a good game yesterday. Still not the same caliber receiver without 12 throwing him the ball. I think the Raiders have got to start packing it in. And look, as much as me and you – probably like Derek Carr more than most people, that feels over. I would try, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, to engineer a deal either to the Niners or maybe the Raiders. Raiders have a lot of weapons. They have an offensive coach. And then I would think Devontae Adams. Are you Adams kidding me? Yes. Are you kidding me? Yes. Are no. you, Steve, cut it out. There's one oh. perfect place for Aaron Rodgers. Where? One perfect landing spot next year. We've yeah, already talked the- about the team. We've already oh. talked about the team. Tennessee. He's not going Tennessee. to Tennessee. Go be He's with not. Mike Vrabel. He, he, yes, that's the perfect. And Derrick Henry to carry the weight. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. They, I would Now, speaking of great combos, I'd call them peaches and herb because reunited. Oh, it feels so good. <laughs> I'm telling you, the Raiders, the autumn wind would I'd be li- blowing I'd again. Your, I liked your EPMD. Uh, that was one of my favorite rap groups in the 80s. And when they broke up for a short oh, time, it was, it was terrible. It was never the same. Was never the same. Neither, one, neither one were any good without each other. Right. Uh, 
I'm t- if it, listen, if you love old school rap, you'll, you'll remember this song. Please listen to my demo. It's one of my favorite yeah. rap songs of all time, <laughs> EPMD. Uh, you got to Jason, chill. That, that, well, yeah. Mm. The first two albums were great. And, and then what broke them up? Money. It's always money. You know, and, and that's that's a shame about Business it. Business is never personal. <laughs> right. By the way, Jason, one, another thing. Uh, you see my see my guy Geno Smith. Did you see him well, again? That's the, you, you, all right, you just you just led us into oh. our next topic oh. and last topic uh, okay. for today. Uh, are the Seahawks the NFC's second best team? Ooh, I'd have to think because the Eagles are number one. I think the Niners yes. have the most talented roster top to bottom. But I will say this. The Seahawks are for real. I think they're a playoff team. And I know they're in a very tough division. Jason, I thought a seminal moment happened yesterday. They're up 10-7, kind of scuffling, tough game. Geno throws a swing pass out into the flat. Xavion Collins makes this incredible play. Pick 6, 14-10 on the road. In years past, the offensive coordinator would have gotten scared. They would have clammed it up, and Geno Smith would have followed right along, and his game would have shrunk. And I'm thinking, okay, Geno, show me that you're not just a stopgap. Show me that you can actually be a bona fide long-term solution for this franchise. Came right down the next drive and threw some shots. He commanded the ball. He was decisive. And this much is clear, just looking at the body language. of, of And I think um, Kyler Murray, the little video game player, playing Donkey Kong for eight hours straight, or what, Miss Pac-Man, Gallagher, whatever, there's always an issue. Even yesterday, him and Hopkins, are, oh, well, he was in Hopkins' face, and every week there's something going on with Murray where you say there's some unnatural tension. With Geno Smith, those guys want to play for him. They're enjoying this post-Russell weirdo life. They love that guy, and he's playing really good football. I'm not going to go as far as our beloved coach, JB. I'm not going to say MVP just yet. He's become a frontline starter in 2022. And Jason, Kenneth Walker III, I'm going to make a bold statement here. He has some Emmett Smith-like qualities in terms of vision and his ability to move his feet and always fall forward and find the hole. He's an impressive guy. He's my rookie of the year. And, and they have some real threats outside with Lockett and that big fella, 14, uh, Metcalf. I'm, I'm just telling you, and that, and that draft class of theirs is loaded with young, springy athletes. I right, like the, this the, team. Help me out here. Why are you reluctant to call them the second-best team in the NFC, the 4-4 four and four San Francisco 49ers? Uh, hold, hold on. They still have the best The roster. Cowboys the with Dak are six and two. The Giants right. are six and two. You buying Minnesota? Who, who, of those, Minnesota seven. Minnesota's not better than Seattle right now. Minnesota in my is. I don't think is, it. Yeah, Minnesota is scuffling, and we kind of know the ceiling of Kirk Cousins. But you're saying, are they the second best team? I think the NFC is pretty good this year. I really do. And I, the Cowboys defense is the type of team, the like unit Cowboys that. Defense, yeah. Uh, everyone does. Look, they are really good. So I kind of look at that squad. I'm going to look. The Seahawks, in my view, are a playoff team. Ask me that question at the end of November as we come down the home stretch. But I look at the Seahawks. They look like an ascending franchise. Um, the life let is me, okay. Let me help with your argument. Team. Let me help with your argument. I want to pass out a couple of stats for our – they come to this show for our football expertise. Let's give them some. 
offensive balance as it relates to the Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks are the only team in the NFL with 2,000-plus yards passing and 1,200 mm -hmm. yards rushing. Mm -hmm. uh, clutch passing, Geno Smith has thrown 15 TD passes this season. 11 of those TD passes resulted in Seattle taking the lead in, in a game and another tying the game. Uh, they're opportunistic. The Seahawks have won the turnover battle in six of nine games yes. uh, this season, tied in two others. Uh, winning the battle to win the war. Uh, during their four-game winning streak, the Seahawks have been outscored in just three of 16 yep. quarters. Hey, man, this team, three and two on the road. Uh, th this, this team, I've been slow to warm to it, uh, but I am warming to it, and I'm happy for Geno Smith. Uh, good job. Great job, Steve. Uh, I'm going to let you go with that. Uh, thank you. Awesome job. Uh, I don't know if you guys can tell. I mean, <laughs> you see how good I look right now? This Ball State. I don't like the Nike thing, but they, they support Ball State, so I support Nike. But you know why I look so good right now? It's because I've been working out. Yesterday, when I've been eating better, but yesterday, uh, during watching football, all yesterday, I, I changed up my workout routine on my Stairmaster and I was doing it in six-minute spurts as I watched football. And I was going at high-intensity, six-minute spurts. I'd go do six minutes, then I'd come sit back down and watch some football, then I'd go do six minutes more. And I, I think I did it eight times. One of the times I went 12 minutes because I just felt it. But anyway, the reason why I'm able to do that and look so good, I mean, you see how good I look right now? I mean. <laughs> Can you look any better than this? And pe people don't get it. I, I, I kid, I joke. Obviously, I still have a lot of work to do with the weight loss. But you guys, anybody with eyes can see I'm making progress. And part of my progress has to do with Instaflex. If you're like me and you've dealt with soreness in your joints, you know what it's like to walk around with snore, sore knees or elbows just wishing the pain would go away. Well, maybe you don't have to wish anymore. Instaflex Advance targets the root cause of joint discomfort with just one little pill per day. It contains a unique combination of five key ingredients that are found in no other product in the world. It restores flexibility and mobility to your knees and other painful joints. And did I mention that you only have to take one tiny pill per day? You could have better knees and joints in a week. Now get a complimentary two-week sample of Instaflex Advance when you text Fearless to 42424. Plus, get a free gift of Interflex Advanced Pain Cream with its exclusive oxygenated oil for a fast-acting relief from the pain of arthritis, backaches, and sore muscles. Absolutely free. Text now and receive a complimentary two-week supply of Instaflex Advanced Joint Support for men and women with five key ingredients to help you turn back the clock Text FEARLESS to 42424. That's FEARLESS to 42424. All right, guys. Jason Brown. <laughs> All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in Jason Brown, uh, the perfect person 
for this conversation we're about to have. Uh, news this afternoon that the Indianapolis Colts are hiring Jeff Saturday, Saturday on an interim basis uh, to be their head coach after firing Frank Reich. Uh, Saturday is in the Colts Ring of Honor. He was their center on their Super Bowl teams. He's worked at ESPN. Uh, I believe he's been a consultant for the Colts. And I believe at some point he was a head coach at the high school level uh, for three or four years. Uh, but this is an unusual hire. Uh, Twitter, social media, of course, is turning it racial uh, right off the bat that, you know, this is proof that, you know, everything Brian Flores said is true. How could the Colts make Jeff Saturday their interim head coach? Uh, so, JB, uh, former coach, and what, what do you think of the Colts giving Jeff Saturday a shot here as their interim head coach? Can I, can I coach? Can I go be the OC? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Are we just hiring anyone? So, I don't know. I just heard Lewis Riddick on ESPN talking about it. Uh, obviously, they're colleagues at ESPN or whatever. Um, I don't know, man. I, it's hard for me to fathom that somebody's going to come out of a media booth and uh, an analyst role on a platform on a network and go right into coaching into a locker room of a bunch of men making a lot of money that have yet to see you coach, being around you at all, and you're going to go in there and demand respect because you're in their Hall of Fame. That doesn't really mean nothing anymore to these guys, man. These guys, you as you know, we talked about last week, these guys are – playing video games and worried about other things. I don't think they care who Jeff – some of them probably don't even know who Jeff Saturday is. Um, so I think it's kind of a joke. Uh, I think Ursay's kind of uh, – he's made some decisions that are very, very interesting to say the least. Um, I mean, he fired the OC a week and a half ago. You just fired Reich. I get that. I figured that was happening. I, I think I said it on my show. It would happen before the season. Um but Jeff Saturday, I mean, are you hiring Pat McAfee, too, to come in and be the special teams coordinator? I mean, what are we doing? We're making it kind of a mockery at this point. Let's hire somebody that's on the staff right now to at least weather the storm. In my estimation, if this gets out of hand, Jason, uh, this is even more of a slap in the face um, than it would be just hiring a guy that's on the staff just to weather the storm. Because if you're hiring Jeff Saturday to weather the storm, what if this thing gets out of, out of hand? Now you're just a mockery hiring a media member. Uh, I know you played and everything, but that's it's kind of slippery slope to me. I don't like it. I think there's a better hire on staff, but it is what it is. So the defense for the Colts has been playing relatively well. Their coordinator is Gus Bradley, former, I believe, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Uh, he would have been a candidate. He would have been a candidate. Uh, their special teams coordinator is a guy named Bubba Ventrone. He's eight years of experience. Their tight ends coach is Clayton Adams. Let's see. Where else? We get strength coach, passing game, special parks for John Fox, senior defensive assistant, is on the staff. John Fox took a team to a Super Bowl. Uh, I think he's coached two different teams in the NFL. Old guy. He could have done, done that. Uh, 
someone is Scotty Montgomery's on the staff. He's their running backs coach. Black dude. Oh my God. Uh, Nathan Ollie, former Ball State defensive lineman, is their defensive line coach. Nathan Ollie was a great uh, player at Ball State and a great young man. Uh, so there's a lot of. I, I'm going to tell you why I don't have a problem with this decision. Oh, Reggie Wayne is on their coaching staff. He's only got one year of experience, former wide receiver and great player for the, for the Colts. He's on their staff. I, it, to me, it's clear as day that Jim Mersey is buddies with Jeff Saturday, and they clearly talk all the time. And that's who's helping Jim Mersey evaluate what's going on with his football team. And so he turned to that person. These interim coaches never end up getting the head coaching job that I can remember. Most of them, and this far into the season, eight games into the season, they get the job, they finish out the year, and then they go hire uh, who they really want as coach. And what a lot of NFL owners have done to satisfy uh, the media crowd is they love to put, oh, Steve Wilkes, you come be the interim coach for the Carolina Panthers. You come oversee the fall of the Titanic. And now, oh, my God, we had a black coach and no one can question, did we consider a black coach? We put you in a losing position, you lost, and now we get to go hire who we really want. They're giving that job to Jeff Saturday. He's gonna oversee the Titanic. And he's, I don't believe he'll end up being the head coach. They could, now again, there could be guys like Reggie Wayne saying, nah, I don't want this. Or Scotty Mitt, nah, I don't want this because I know how this plays out. I'm gonna take these L's. We, we, we shouldn't have signed Matt Ryan as quarterback. Now we're out here starting Sam Ellinger. And so, you know what, I got a chance to put 0 and 8 on my resume and never recover and never get the job. Jeff Saturday puts 0 and 8, goes right back to ESPN, no one cares. It, 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 it could be more well-intentioned than some people may want to give credit for. Yeah, you know, Reggie Wayne, he shouldn't even be a thought. He just got the job this year. He just came in there. That's a Peyton Manning requested hire. Uh, so that's that's a that's we know that's not the guy. The two guys that have the experience and had a shot, who I thought they would have named the interim. Number one coming to mind, John Fox. He's an analyst helping out. I would think he could write the ship, just like they do with Barry Alvarez every year. They fire a guy at Wisconsin every year. Tennessee goes through it. They 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 bring in the old head coach, Coach Fulmer, and he's the interim. I could see John Fox being that guy, right? I'm, I'm the OG in the building. I can just write the ship. And then you got Gus Bradley. Uh, he's, he's had experience under Pete Carroll, who's probably coach of the year right now. You got, you got him that was under Carroll, was the D coordinator there, uh, was at two Super Bowls with Pete, won one, should have won another. He's got experience to write the ship as well. So you got those two that came to mind. I thought they were going to name him as soon as I heard Reich. I said, okay, Bradley or Fox will be the head coach. But this one is kind of out of left field. I, I get what you're saying. Um, no one's going to write this ship. They got a college quarterback. This, this quarterback they're playing 
is not an NFL starter. Period. End of story. They're all, the problems on their offensive line, not fixable. Somebody is about to put a bunch of L's on their resume, and there may have been some guys that didn't want to do it. If you go with Gus Bradley or John Fox, you're going to get, oh, old white guy, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you give it to so-and-so and so-and-so? And so-and-so and so-and-so may be smart enough to say, I don't want them L's. Maybe that could happen. It has happened. I know. I know in situations that does happen. Um, and only a guy like Fox who can probably say, "All right, no, I'll turn it down." Bradley can't afford to say no. Turn it down. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Bradley or Fox. They would have taken the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ursay would then get criticized for hiring old white guys retreads. Why yeah. couldn't a black guy got the shot? And what I'm saying is the black guys on this staff, and by the way, Zane Fakes, a former Ball State tight end, is an assistant strength coach at uh, Indianapolis. I didn't realize that. But I'm saying, <laughs> Scotty Montgomery, black dude uh, with some experience. Ron Miles, defensive backs coach, black dude with some experience. Reggie Wayne just got to the staff. Uh, Richard Howe, oh, he's a strength and conditioning guy. Uh, but they may have been... Anybody with a brain, Cato June, he's assistant linebackers coach, former coach player. Yep. Let, let's say even Kevin Mawai, great NFL center. I think he may be Samoan or something like that. Oh, these yeah. guys are smart enough to say, I'm not taking these L's and putting them on my resume. I'm not doing it because I'll never get a head coaching job. And so... Ursay made an outside-the-box choice here that may be justifiable. Jeff Saturday can take these L's and go right back to being on TV. Yeah, I mean, I see it that way, but I just see it they could flip and, and, and make you, as Ursay, being a very, very unattractable um, employer. Let me say it that way. It's only 32 of these jobs, man. There's only 32 of these no, jobs. But, uh, it's what, like being what, a supermodel. What viable, replicable coach are you going to get in there, though, if you just continue to deal with coaches in the manner that he's continually dealing with them in? Like, what big-time coach is one going to go, I got to go work for Ursay? No, you don't. They're like, man, go ahead with that, with that BS. Hire an ESPN guy. Tony Dungy did it. Tony Dungy did it. Yeah, Tony Dungy did it. Then, when he had Peyton Manning. You ain't coming into Peyton Manning no more, brother. You're not even coming into Andrew Luck. You're walking into Ellinger, a guy that's never even played, and Matt Ryan, who's walking away with crutches, who's got nine kids at home waiting on him. Like, I don't know, man. It's a bad situation. And you know, as I know, the operating, the CEOs of these organizations, Jason, um, they either are, they bury your organization as the owner or they, they're the guys that go to the hero. They, they win them, and everyone praises Jerry Jones when he won three in a row. Nobody really talked about Jimmy Johnson until Jimmy Johnson left, and now Jerry Jones is horrible. And it goes that way. Belichick, if he don't start winning again, they're going to say Kraft was the guy, and now guess what? Kraft's horrible because you lost Brady and you haven't replaced them. I mean, it's just that's what it is. It's a results-oriented business, and it's what have you done for me lately, and the Colts haven't done anything lately and people forget really, really quick when you're bad. And you know, as I know, that goes for any profession in this world. 
right, let me move on and address a couple of these Sunday issues with you before I, I let you go, and I appreciate you making the time today. Uh, I was just talking with uh, Steve Kim earlier about the way teams are defending Patrick Mahomes. They're not blitzing Patrick Mahomes. They're dropping into coverage, and they're having success. I think Indy, Buffalo, and now the Tennessee Titans been very reluctant to blitz Patrick Mahomes. It slowed down Kansas City's offense, nearly cost him a game last night. Why are teams dropping into coverage on Mahomes? Why is that working? Because he's just like, so that's what you, that, so the success to beat quarterbacks that are big arms, big talented guys with wideouts uh, is drop seven, just get four pass rushers on him, try to beat the O-line with four, drop coverage, cloudy the coverage up for the QB. So you either have to tuck it and run like he did last night, which ultimately won him the game, or you've got to really dissect coverage and read it out. So the, the number one way to beat Tom Brady over the years has been what? Drop seven, bring four, play great coverage on the receivers, and get pressure with your front four, just like the Giants did in the Super Bowl, just like uh, the Rams did last year in the NFC title game, and just like New Orleans did three or four times during the regular season, which really gives him fits. Kansas City, same way. He has fits when you drop people into coverage because now – an offense predicated on dink and dunk, get it out fast, let's throw laterally, let's throw crossing routes, let's throw different plays that's quick, out-of-my-hand decision-making. Now it's not that. Now I got to sit there and throw the football 68 times last night, Jason. 68 times we threw the football in Kansas City, and you scored 20 points. So look at some stats and data and see the last time somebody threw it 68 times and only scored 20 points. Uh, I would find it really, really interesting to see what the points versus throws would mean because that right there is not equating. And that made him tuck and run by the way he ran for 65 yards. Crucial situations because they're in coverage. They drop seven and now there's running lanes in there for a guy like Mahomes. So it's clouding him up. And I think great defensive coordinators know as great as everyone wants to anoint Patrick Mahomes and how great of arm talent he is and, and all these things, they do know that he has some issues reading coverage and throwing it on time if it's not ad-lib or um, his anticipatory window throws aren't great at all. I've, just, I've been breaking them down. He has to ad-lib almost everything he does. And you saw why they struggled to score points last night can't tell me you throw the football 68 times and score 20 points. It just doesn't even make sense. There's no way in the world. 68 throws out of 82 plays or whatever, it doesn't even make sense. 91. So, yes, 91. So it you drop coverage, you cloudy them up. All right, let me tuck and run it. And, and I don't see, I don't like what I see. And if you watch that game, Jason, I'm going to be the first one to say it on your show right here live. I see something wrong with Patrick Mahomes towards the end of the game. Either fatigue, A, from throwing it 68 times, which could be it, or somewhere he got dinged with a face mask and he had dead arm towards the end of that game because the last seven passes, the receiver caught the ball at his shoelaces and he had three balls hit the turf, hit the ground, skip to people. His arm was dead at the end of that game, and I don't know if it was fatigue Usually you don't see fatigue in that in that manner from throwing a football 68 times in one game. I think it was compiled with running the ball as much as he did, coming right back to a tempo offense, trying to throw it again. His arm was fatigued. His feet were out of place. 
He had some bad mechanics towards the end of the game, which is okay because you're tired as hell. I get it. So I'm not going to critique him and say he did bad things. He threw for 485 on on on, on 68 passes. Um, so, like, the end of the day, he won the game with his feet because the defense did that. And I think you see that. You see it with Lamar tonight. You're going to see it with Lamar tonight. I think, I think the Saints are going to keep him in the pocket as well and make him throw from the pocket without his best receiver. His tight end is out tonight. Very, it's going to be very intriguing to watch uh, my videos tonight on Twitter. Uh, but having said that, um, you know, that's the recipe. Buffalo did it last year. The Bengals did it. I mean, the Bengals did it last year. Buffalo did it earlier this year. Tampa did it in the Super Bowl. He struggles late to throw the football in anticipatory windows late in the game, and he struggles mildly. And that is what I – that's my only knock on him. Let me move it, you on, JB. Let, let me move you on to Tom Brady. Uh, I thought Tom Brady actually played at a high level yesterday and that his receivers let him down, including Scotty Miller on what should have been the game-winning touchdown pass a minute before he threw the game-winning touchdown pass. But I'm seeing all these drop passes, and I think they said there were six of them. And, I mean, they were some easy catches some easy balls and again I think Brady's still playing at a high level his teammates aren't playing at a high level and they're not playing at a high level I think because Tom Brady's not all in with them people make a big deal about the Brett Favre Monday Night Football game the day that his dad died and I argued that day I was like, hey, Brett Favre played okay. But what happened is the guys in that locker room that loved Brett Favre elevated their play and made a bunch of circus catches for Brett Favre. And Brett Favre got all the credit, but it was actually guys stepping up on behalf of Brett Favre who were the stars of that Monday night football game. I argued it that Tuesday after that Monday night game. I don't see guys stepping up and playing with the kind of intensity and focus that they normally do for Tom Brady because Tom Brady's not all in with him. First of all, there's not a guy playing right now that would have even played in that game if their daddy died. Number one, we're way too soft now. So, number one, nobody would even <laughs> show up. Like, I give far the credit to show up. You know what I mean? He showed up to that game, which is already, to me, more than most because I was at practice the day my dad died. I was a coach and I said, listen, I've signed up for this. I'll be at practice. My dad would have wanted it that way. I put him down and I was at practice right after he passed the same day. Barb showing up to me was a big deal. And that is what made those guys make those plays because like you said, they fought for him. Obviously they liked him in the locker room to, to your point. Is Tom Brady someone that they're not really feeling? Are, are they? Is he someone they're like, okay, this guy's half in, half out. We know Brett Favre was all in all the time with that team, just like some other guys are. But Tom Brady right now, is he a guy that's half in, half out, and I'm not here for you? Or, you know, you can see it the same way in, in, in Green Bay right now with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, very, very – both of these guys are very similar to me right now. They do not look like they're sold – with two feet in. They both look like there's one foot in. Last night, I broke down Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers threw the football in the back cone and, like, walked up the field like, I'm done. Fourth down. Like, ah, screw this. Boop. He threw it out of bounds. Like, man, he's done in Green Bay. And 
And now last night, though, Jason, I'll, let me ask you this question. After watching Tom Brady, and even though those guys didn't perform, sometimes it takes one thing like that to bond a group of guys who, uh, who have about 60% of their roster who were on the Super Bowl winning team to say, all right, you back with us, dog? Let's go. And Tom Brady's going to be like, look, you guys are in. I'm in. I got divorced. I'm all in. Let's go. And do those guys buy in? Because Tampa still has a very, very strong skill set. They still have a bunch of great wideouts. Julio Jones can stay healthy, just another addition. And they do have defensive talent. They played as well as anyone in the first four or five weeks of the season on defense. That can be rectified. If they do get their center back, Jensen, I don't know if he's done for the year or not. Um, I saw reports both ways. If they can get a center back and, re- and, and classify that O-line as being, uh, you know, he's the guy that makes all those calls. They get him back. Does Tom Brady make a phone call in three weeks to a man named Gronkowski and he comes back for the playoffs, which is something I'm hearing. And now you have a problem, Houston. You have a Tampa Bay team with a reassured Tom Brady uh, and Gronk shows up. And now the vibe in that locker room would be off the chain. I love your point. And I think you're right. And it crossed my mind yesterday watching the end of that game like oh i wonder if this comeback might be the spark that ignites this team and unifies them and i think you make an excellent point brady can certainly say to these guys i have certainly sold out i'm I'm, you know i'm getting divorced i'm all in that that's something we'll have to keep our eye on that before you move on they played the early morning game who do they play they play this sunday in the early morning game uh, it's a pretty good game, I thought. Uh, I'm not sure. And so, when you coach, when you're a coach and you have to discipline a cat, and let's say you discipline the starting quarterback and put him out for the week, which I've done, and I play the backup, and you win with the backup, you now just took back over your roster and your team. That is something I saw last night. You won with a half-bought-in wideout crew, and you still got the win against the defending Super Bowl champs, regardless of what we say about the Rams this year. They're the defending champs. And now your roster says, oh, shoot, we might be back in business, and now we're all in, Tom. If we know you're in, you took a couple chin shots for us. You got the ball delivered. Scotty, you failed me once. Uh, Mike Evans, you failed me. Godwin, you failed me. But are you in now or what? Let's go. I'll buy you guys a Rolex. I'll buy you dinner. Let's get it back going. And we'll see. And if we get and, and if if anyone can get Gronkowski back, it's Tom Brady. So it would be a very, very it would be a team that I would not want to play in the first round of the playoffs, I'll tell you that. Sunday morning, 9 30 a.m. Eastern, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Seattle Seahawks. That's gonna be a very interesting game. Based off overseas? this conversation you and I had. Excuse me? Overseas again? Yeah, it's it's 8.30 a.m. I'm not, um, let me figure out what country they're playing in, but Germany. Yeah, they're playing in Germany. Uh, this is going to be a very, very interesting football game. Uh, let me ask you this. JB, I appreciate it. Let, let me ask you one more question before we get out of here. And I got to ask you And it's related something. to that game. It's related to that game. Uh, Russell Wilson, was he holding back 
the Seattle Seahawks. Nah, he went to two Super Bowls. I can't say that. He went to two, should have won two. That, that's, uh, that, 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 that was 10 years ago, JB. Yeah, six years ago. But at the same time, how could he be holding them back that long? They still had a pretty good roster. Um, they had a couple more playoff runs in there. I don't know if he was holding them back. I, I'm not going to say Geno Smith is a complete upgrade, okay? Again, we just broke down. Oh, you called him the MVP last week. Now he's not even an upgrade. Go ahead, JB. Of course I did because how he's playing right now. I would say that, continue to say that. What I'm saying is, though, if me and you were drafting in a room, are you taking Geno Smith over Russell Wilson? Hell no. So I'm just saying, right now, how he's playing, though, he's playing as good as anyone, and that's why I put him in 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 the MVP conversation. My point is, though, are we going to just say – Everything he did over there was a facade because now all of a sudden who who couldn't have coached last year, according to the naysayers, Pete Carroll, is now coach of the year. So, like, wait, where are we at with this? Let's keep it real. So, like, that is where I'm at. I, I don't know. I, Russell's bad right now. We, we know. We have a guy, Hackett, who can't seem to coach out of a paper bag either. And, you know, this is the thing I want to bring up about Seattle, though. Let me ask you this, and a lot of people haven't thought about it. Do you know they're traveling this season something like 27 or 47,000 miles compared to a Pittsburgh Steelers team who only traveled 7,000 miles during the whole season? Uh, uh, Seattle's traveled more than any other team in the history of professional football in one season, and he's winning. I have to look at that and say this is not only the coach of the year. He may be doing one of the best jobs with a makeshift team that I've seen in my entire life in the NFL. Pete Carroll's doing a hell of a job. I'd say makeshift quarterback, not a makeshift team. They got, you know, Lockett, Metcalf, Kenneth Walker. They got personnel. They got a – Who's Kenneth Walker? A rookie. 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 Who's the best player on defense? Rookie. A D2 corner, a Division two corner. That is draft, brother. That is personnel, eye in the sky. He knows personnel better than anyone in America. That is why when he coached in college, you didn't even know who Nick Saban was. I dropped the mic on that. I can't even I, – I don't even have the strength to Jason. deal with your Nick Saban slander. I don't. I don't tolerate Nick Saban slander. That, that's a ridiculous. But I, I don't have. I don't have the time or the energy right Hold now. On. Let me give you food for thought. I have big time Division One buddies that coach under both coaches. Okay, I won't say the name. I'll tell you off air. You said you know why Nick Saban's the best in football right now? I said nah. I can have a couple guesses. He said because Nick because Pete Carroll's in the NFL. That's all I got to tell you. It's a good time to hang up on you, JB, and let you go. You're making ridiculous statements. Uh, we're going to let JB go, put him in the concussion protocol, the CTE protocol, and uh, we'll be back with him next week. All right, uh, you know what's happening tomorrow? The big election night is just around the corner, and the stakes are high, or the highest they've ever been for a midterm election. Uh, will the red wave everyone is anticipating be large enough to propel the GOP to victory in the Senate? Will the woke left finally be put on their heels? Join Glenn Beck, myself, Ali Bestucky, Steve Dace, and all of your favorite Blaze TV live on election night, and let's watch the results come in together. 
Most cable news and corporate media networks just parrot the party line during their election coverage. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're going to give it to you straight on election night without the spin and bland talking points. We also have a lot of really cool surprise guest appearances planned throughout the night that you do not want to miss. So join us 7.45 p.m. Eastern over at blazetv.com or Blaze TV YouTube channel as we help you make sense of the election results. Promo code is REDWAVE for $30 off. If you want to join the Blaze TV family, $30 off. Use the promo code REDWAVE. I can't wait to be there. I paid more attention to this election cycle than any other. Can't wait to join Glenn and Allie and I think Delano's going to be there, Steve Dace, Dave Rubin, Alex Stein, I'm Tom Stein. Uh, we're going to have the election covered for you tomorrow. All right. Uh, you can also get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, I'm going to start my fire. And I think my friends from Preborn are here. Uh, we're going to do all that. It's my obligation on hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. And as promised, I got a fire starter to top all fire starters. Uh, but the biggest fire that we've been starting here with Fearless is related uh, to our relationship with Preborn. And anytime Dan Steiner, uh, one of the founders and CEOs, leaders of Preborn, stops by, I got to stop what I'm doing and uh, bring Dan on to one. Thank you, Dan, for giving me and this show a purpose and a mission. There's nothing that I am more proud of than being associated with Preborn. Well, it's been a mutual blessing for us, and uh, thanks to the thousands of listeners to Fearless that have saved so many babies since this very short engagement that has made such a difference in so many little babies and moms' lives. It's just a wonderful thing that the Lord's done here. So I get emails all the time from guys and, and ladies that, hey, I'm watching the show, and they, they always mention to me, I gave money to Preborn. And, but I've had some people emailing me and ask me, it's like, well, why Preborn over some other organizations? And Jason, how sure are you, confident are you that Preborn is, because you hear a lot about a lot of charities that they take in a lot of money and they spend a lot of money on a variety of things <laughs> and a little bit on what they actually say they're spending on. Help our audience understand why Preborn and, and where the money goes and how you use it. Well, um, it wouldn't be a surprise to you that we have a consciousness before the Lord himself on how we use the money that's given. Um, every $28 sponsorship given to underwrite an ultrasound, all $28, not 20, not 26, 28, goes to our clinics to underwrite an ultrasound. So like our word's good, but don't take our word for it. Go to Charity Navigator, the best rated ministry nonprofit watchdog. There's 164,000 Organizations rated only 60,000 of those are, no, 60 of those are 100%, and, and we're one of those. 100% rating with uh, Charity Navigator. So financial integrity, saving babies, leading people to Christ, we do all of that. And that's why we, uh, you know, are so pleased to be able to say, you know, if you give money, $140 for five, you'll get 
um, pictures of a baby whose life was saved because we give it to the clinics. These clinics are hand to mouth, Jason. They, they're really struggling financially. And so what we're doing together and with the listeners of Fearless is really giving them the ability to offer that mom an opportunity to meet her baby. And we know that doubles the likelihood that she's going to choose life. And so, um, and then maternity clothes and doctor visits and cribs and car seats and diapers and whatever she needs on top of that so that she can carry, the, carry it through. We're empowering women. Dan, how long have you, how long did you found Preborn? How long have you guys been active? And, and I get, this will be my last thought on it. Just, I just want to, you've given me a purpose and, and a bigger, you know, it's, it's fun talking sports, talking politics, talking culture, but when you can combine it with serving people, particularly serving babies, yeah, right. <laughs> I don't, it gives you a reason to get out of bed. Yeah, it, it really is a wonderful thing. We've been doing it with Preborn now since 2006. Uh, Valerie and I, with the guidance of the Lord Jesus, founded the thing. And uh, there's been like 200,000 babies saved since then. Um, the, the listeners of Fearless are among the best listeners in the country in terms of reaching these, these babies. Uh, they're very generous. And uh, we, we, we see it as a personal obligation uh, before the throne of heaven, you know, to do the right thing with the funds and, and to reach these women. It's a, it's a David and Goliath deal, man. You know, Planned Parenthood is a $1.2 billion baby-killing machine. And uh, so we, you know, but we've got, you know, for every Goliath, there's a, there's a stone, right? And uh, I think you're the stone. So it's really a, a great relationship. Thank you to all of you that are listening to Fearless. I mean, keep listening. This guy's got a heart. That's why we, you know, we connected right away for this. You're genuine. Yeah, we're both from Indianapolis. There you go. Yeah, that was the other. <laughs> we're both from Indianapolis. Dan still lives there. Uh, f- here's my actual final question or thought. The overturn of Roe v. Wade, how has that impacted preborn? Do people think, hey, it's over? Or do they people understand like, nah, <laughs> the fight's still just beginning and it's ongoing? It's, it's crazy what's happened. Really, Jason, it's, it's nuts. Uh, you know, not only are they, you know, defacing, vandalizing our clinics, not only are the um, gatekeepers of the digressive, I won't call them progressive, uh, deep state left, uh, putting legislation against us marketing online, but what's happening to women is really horrible. Roe versus Wade doesn't stop, falling doesn't stop women from being sexually active, nor getting pregnant, nor wanting abortions. That's still happening at the same rate. It's just an access issue. They can't get abortions as easily. So they have two choices. They either go online and get an abortion pill, or they go online and find a state such as California, which will pay your ticket out, pay for your abortion, and fly you back. And so it's all ratcheted up to the digital level now. Preborn is there um, day by day. Um, reaching women before the abortionist does online and sending them to our clinics to see their babies on ultrasound. Um, but it's been, uh, it's like a, the dogs off the leash, man, they're unhinged. Uh, they're crazy about this. And, and you know, you talk a lot of politics, there's such a blindness that they think that, that that's gonna get them through the next few days uh, on election uh, tomorrow. It is not. It's actually unmasking them. When I watch people yeah. on TV convulsing about, we gotta be able to kill our babies. Gotta, 
that's what like hammers like, like this is satanic this yes. is not this you got is, it no that's this, it this is how could your whole life be built around killing a baby in a womb you got a problem <laughs> we got to get involved dan thank you so much uh really appreciate you uh, really am proud of uh this show's association pound 250 say the keyword baby or when you go to preborn.com and you give that donation Remember, there's a little area, because I'm sorry, I'm greedy, I want credit. When they ask you, how'd you hear about Preborn, I need you to reference this show. Yeah. This is, you know, one day I'll, I'll be standing before God, and I'm like, hey, God, big guy, remember I helped Preborn? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. Thank All you. Right. Uh, guys, we got to get to our fire starter. Uh, we're about to start a, a real fire, and then Royce White's going to join me after I uh, start this fire. L let's get it rolling. Uh, the ultra Black Lives Matters revolutionaries piling on suspended basketball star Kyrie Irving have something in common with Ben Shapiro. They all, they all hate or would hate Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. Shannon Sharp, Stephen A. Smith, Jamel Hill, LeBron James, Charlemagne the Fraud, James Brown. These people justifying the persecution of Irving over a harmless and boring documentary would all want to silence and deplatform Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali in the 1960s. X and Ali, the highest profile members of Elijah Muhammad's Nation of Islam religious sect, boldly and clearly complained about an unhealthy relationship and power dynamic between black communities and Jewish business owners. Here's just one of many examples of what I'm talking about. If you are personally anti-Semitic. No, uh, how can I be anti-Semitic when the Arabs are semi, half the Muslim world are, is Semitic. If I was anti-Semitic, I'd be anti-Arab and anti-everything uh, else. No, I think this, that in this country, there's one mistake that the Jews make uh, they put themselves in a position where whenever anybody gives an objective analysis of the role that they play, uh, they defend themselves by accusing you of being anti-Semitic. And, and uh, a Negro is not anti-Semitic when he says that the, the man who's exploiting him in his community is white, because it is a white man who owns all the stores. Now, is it a, an accident that these whites who own these stores are Jewish? If it's an accident, then uh, the fact that he says the Jew on the corner is exploiting me isn't an anti-Semitic statement. It's just more descriptive. In 1964, the Egyptian Gazette newspaper ran a transcript of a speech Malcolm X delivered while in the Middle East. X coined the phrase Zionist dollarism, saying, quote, the modern 20th century weapon of neo-imperialism is dollarism. The Zionists have mastered the science of dollarism, the ability to come posing as a friend and benefactor bearing gifts and all other forms of economic aid and offers of technical assistance. An Orthodox Jew and an establishment Republican, Ben Shapiro's distaste for X and Ali would make perfect sense and would not be driven by bigotry. Shapiro values Israel above free speech and the wildly popular podcaster loathes to take any risks that could get him and the Daily Wire crossways with the global corporations. 
the ultra Black Lives Matters revolutionaries piling on suspended basketball star Kyrie Irving have something in common with Ben Shapiro. Over the weekend, Shapiro scolded his Daily Wire co-worker Candace Owens for retweeting the thoughts of Max Blumenthal, a journalist and critic of Zionism. Blumenthal is a white Jew. On Friday, he tweeted, quote, <clears throat> we, white American Jews, are living in a golden age of power, affluence, and safety. Acceptance of this reality threatens the entire Zionist enterprise, from lobby fronts like the ADL to the State of Israel, because Zionism relies on Jewish insecurity to justify itself. On Sunday, Shapiro quote-tweeted Owens and publicly admonished her, writing, I think the ADL is a partisan hack organization too, but retweeting Max Blumenthal, who spends his life covering for Jew haters and stumping for Israel's destruction, makes the conversation significantly worse. It's garbage. Shapiro models the same grievance political strategy used by the ultra BLM crowd. The criticism he leveled at Owens and Blumenthal mirrors the critiques I faced throughout my journalism career. Because I defend America by arguing that black Americans enjoy the highest level of safety, affluence, and freedom than any other black people on the planet, the ultra BLM activists label me, Thomas Sowell, Clarence Thomas, Larry Elder, Candace Owens as traitors unworthy of platforms. What's the real agenda of the deplatformers? What unites them? Love of power and money. Power and money are their true gods. Our culture worships commerce and power. Faith in God alleviates fear. When American culture more closely adhered to Judeo-Christian values, the media probed controversial thinkers and speakers. We aired their thoughts refuted their misguided beliefs and pondered their harsh truths. Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali were in constant demand at radio and TV stations, college campuses, and wherever truth was explored. But fear rules secular societies. Fear calls Shapiro to support the experimental vaccines and to instinctively disavow Donald Trump. Journalists, true journalists, should prioritize understanding well ahead of support and disavowalment. Fear is at the root of the reaction to Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. The ultra BLM revolutionaries and ex-jocks turned broadcasters such as Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, and Reggie Miller fear losing their high paying jobs at ESPN, Fox Sports, TNT, CBS, and NBC. Black Lives Matters is a for-profit shtick. We know that now because we've learned how the movement's founders spent the $100 million raised in the name of the group's only begotten son, George Floyd of Mini Nazareth. The reaction to West and Irving demonstrates how members of the black media and celebrity elite line their bank accounts by pretending to be friends of the revolution. What Weston Irving said about Jewish people pales in comparison to the rhetoric of Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. It's not in the same galaxy. 
Irving retweeted a graphic of an image of a documentary that was released in 2018 based on a book that was published in 2014. It took eight years before anyone realized Hebrews to Negroes posed an existential threat to the Jewish community. Irving's retweet of the doc is more harmful than Amazon hosting it. The overreaction is illogical. The black elites lining up to condemn Kyrie's unmask their real revolutionary mission. They speak for the corporate elite. They speak for Pfizer and other big pharma corporations, the primary advertisers on television, the makers of the experimental vaccines Irving refused to take. They speak for Amazon, the hosting and commerce platform that is now buying sports television rights. No different from Ben Shapiro, LeBron James, Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, Charlemagne the Fraud, and roughly, I'd say, 90% of all Americans who don't want to get crossways with global corporations. They don't want to jeopardize their power and the money that comes along with it. The ultra BLM revolutionaries are paid to make you believe real racism is BYU students shouting at a, at a black Duke volleyball player or that 10 questionable police shootings involving crim career criminals is a bigger problem than thousands of black men and boys killed by gang violence. It's a very profitable scam. The, but the deception should be obvious now in the aftermath of the Brooklyn Nets suspending Irving for a tweet. The revolutionaries spit on Kyrie's free speech and freedom of religion. They co-signed his canceling. They would do the exact same thing to Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. LeBron, Smith, Sharp, and Charlemagne are cowards afraid of jeopardizing their money. They're bought and paid for, controlled opposition. I don't have a real problem with it. I just want them to admit it. I want LeBron to admit that money is his God. He's not alone. Hip hop culture is a materialistic, secular culture. It preaches that the pursuit of money justifies all behavior. Many of the black people disappointed that James and other NBA players haven't spoken out in support of Kyrie are members of the hip hop church that breeds love of money. Many black Christians share the philosophy. I'm a big fan of James Brown, the classy CBS broadcaster. We share the same faith. Our convictions are not the same. On Sunday, on a CBS NFL pregame show, Brown performed a two-minute monologue that demonized Irving. He insinuated that Irving's retweet was anti-Semitic. Brown never uttered a word about Amazon. Let's watch it. Folks, in shifting gears to a more unfortunate headline from this week, you know, all of my colleagues up here at the desk, we've all played for and coached sports and other good teams, and we have all experienced the truths and the beautiful outcomes that apply not just in sports, but they are applicable in the game of life.
We all know the championships are overwhelmingly won by those who display teamwork and togetherness. But there is a serious threat to that principle today with the frightening rise in anti-Semitism, in particular, hate in general. And we're seeing that contagion, not just in sports, but music, politics, and across society. Folks, hate is a disease. It is a virus that spreads and kills. Now, to cast doubt on or state definitively that the Holocaust did not happen, that's as hurtful and wrong as saying the lynching of black people didn't happen or that being enslaved was a choice. To perpetuate hurtful and false narratives, to refuse to disavow bigoted messages, and to fail to take responsibility when one's actions and words inflict harm is simply unacceptable. Words do matter, especially coming from highly visible people. Their words influence people's attitudes and behaviors. And I pray fervently that those with hearts of teamwork, togetherness, and love will speak more loudly and persuasively to prevail against this viciousness. No matter how idealistic this may sound, it is the truth because that is how we defeat hate. No, you know how we defeat hate? By shining a light on it, by, by, by presenting the other side, not by people sitting on some platform, oh, condemning this person for X, Y, and Z. The light pushes out darkness. All of this fear that's being promoted, all of these false equivalencies, all of these lies, that are being used to justify, hey, we gotta silence Kyrie Irving, we gotta deny him the freedom of religion that has served this country for 250 years. We gotta deny it to Kyrie Irving. Oh, we gave it to Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. And we celebrate Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. They got to enjoy religious freedom. They got to say whatever they thought and whatever they believed without people running around like cowards. Oh my God, it's so hurtful and damaging. I can't believe they said this. And oh, it's just like if someone said uh, they denied lynching, that would be harmful and damaging. No, it wouldn't. I don't care what idiots think. Doesn't hurt me. How can people in 1960, just 20 years after World War II, just 20 years after the United States and other countries form to save, to stop the Holocaust and save the people being oppressed and persecuted and destroyed in Germany, Muhammad Ali and, and Malcolm X were free to say whatever they wanted just 20 years after that. We fast forward another 60 years, and now it's like, oh, this is a bridge too far. Oh my God, you can't, if you offer any criticism of Jewish people, it's a bridge too far. Now, Ali and X could do it, and everybody could pretend like they loved them, and they were great. But not you guys, not this generation. If you say, he, he hasn't even said anything close to what these guys said. 
And you're not going to convince me that somebody offering up a stupid opinion about lynchings or slavery somehow harms me. That's a lie being told to protect other lies. The world doesn't work that way. This is a power grab, a money grab, a gimmick. It's completely obvious. Anybody, Stevie Wonder can see it. It's a money grab. There's no truth here. If somebody said, so, because again, we as black people, we love to run around and act like, oh my God, they lynched 100,000 black people uh, during slavery and after slavery and Jim Crow. Here's the facts that don't care about your feelings. The Bloods and the Crips got more bodies on them, black bodies on them, than the KKK. We done shot and killed more black men un under senseless gang violence, caused more damage to our own communities. This is what, I love this whole thing we love to do. Oh, the Tulsa Massacre, oh my God, the Tulsa Massacre. We gotta go all the way back to the 1920s. Oh, the Tulsa Massacre. We ain't got to go that far. Run the tape or find, go to Google and look up what we did to Los Angeles in the aftermath of Rodney King. What we did makes the Tulsa Massacre look like a day at the park. How many times we burned up our own communities? And I'm not caping up or defending the people for the alleged Tulsa massacre. But this madness, 2020, go look what we did to our own neighborhoods. Go look what we did to Ferguson over Michael Brown. Oh, but all that's justified. We, you can make our communities uninhabitable, impossible for businesses to flourish, impossible for, for people to want to invest in those communities. That's all fine and good. Black people did that. We burned it down. We got gassed up by white liberals and burned down our own communities. That's good. That's the voice of the unheard. That does no damage. But oh, Tulsa, oh my God, if it wasn't for Tulsa, the world would be perfect. James Brown's lying. He's caping up to protect his bag. He doesn't want to get crossways with the global corporations that, uh, <clears throat> that finance and pay for and bail out people that burn down black communities on a daily basis over career criminals chasing after the police. James Brown would hate Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X no different than Ben Shapiro, Shannon Sharp, LeBron James, Jamel Hill, Stephen A. Smith, and whoever else I can't remember, I'm leaving off the list. All of these people, that, oh, they so pro-black, and they run around with their little Malcolm X, and uh, they're all so in support of Muhammad Ali. No, they're not. 
They're playing a game for money. It's a scam. Fear is in control. Years ago, before secularism is godless society we've created, and fear took over American culture years ago, we used to want to understand and debate Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Kyrie Irving, Kanye West. You know why? Because we wasn't scared. We had the truth on our side. We stood on our religious faith and would engage with these people without fear. Now everybody's a coward, completely emasculated because they've turned their back on God. <clears throat> I'm gonna, let, let's, let's get to Royce before I burn my own self up, burn my own self down. Uh, we'll be back with Royce White next. Welcome back. Uh, let's go deep. Let's uh, roll out to Minneapolis. Uh, bring in Royce White uh, to expound, fan the flames on this fire I started. Royce, I'm sorry I, I went on as long as I did, but uh, I had to get that off my chest. Um, I want to start here. I, I, ben Shapiro, LeBron James, Shannon Sharp, all of these clowns I'm seeing condemning Kyrie Irving, condemning Max Blumenthal. These got, these got, particularly the black revolution, they would hate Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X, uh, but they swear they're the most pro-black, revolutionary, about that life people. It's all a scam for money. Absolutely. Uh, one of the first times I was on the show with you, I remember saying these, these BLM leftist progressives uh, and, 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 and advocates don't want to ever bring up Malcolm X. They only tacitly approve of Malcolm X um, in, in an, Im an imagistic way or an iconic way. You know, he's fine on a T-shirt. He's fine in a highlight reel of black faces and prominent black figures. But they never want to hone down and pin down on what Malcolm X actually preached. Uh, and they prove it all the time with, with their politics. But really, we prove... Many of us prove our own ignorance around Malcolm X and what he preached. And, and Malcolm X is probably uh, one of, if not uh, one of my, you know, greatest um, political idols, especially from when it comes to, to black intellectual leaders or black spiritual leaders. So, yeah, all of them uh, pretend to be of the cloth of Malcolm X and they couldn't be anything further from. It, it, it's. I've read his autobiography probably a half dozen times. I used to make my cousins, they come visit me, I'd make them read To Kill a Mockingbird, make them read an autobiography from Malcolm X, I'd reread it with them, talk about it. It, it. It's, it's obviously, and I've stated, I'm not a Nation of Islam member, never have been, never bought uh, into the religious aspects of it, but as a political ideology, as a black man, self-responsibility, get off your knees and quit begging philosophy. I've bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And, and it, 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 it just infuriates me that we can't see how, how the sacrificing of 
Kyrie's religious freedom eventually is going to cost all of us our religious freedoms. Right now it's Kyrie and he, he, he's a black Hebrew Israelite and these thoughts are out of bounds. Well, the next revelation is going to be Jason Whitlock and that King James Bible. Those thoughts are out of bounds. It's, it's, how can people not see this? Let's, let's, let's dial back for a second because we are, you know, 24 hours away from one of, if not the most important midterm election in American history. And, and I want to start here. Conservatism without God is controlled opposition. Um, many of us have gotten lost in the political ping pong or football in, in, a, in a game, in a, in a game that's been played here with our American political system. And, and we've been lost in this liberalism versus conservatism. And the other day I said that liberalism and communism are really the same thing to me. But if you dive even deeper then liberalism and conservatism without God become the same thing. And, and I've, I said this before and I'll stress it again, uniparty, uniparty, uniparty. I feel like if I say it three times like Beetlejuice, then people will understand um, what you're seeing play out with, with Ben Shapiro and Candace. And, and here's the deal. I'm starting to like Candace more and more. I'll tell you that. I'm starting to, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see Preach. Candace evolution more and more. Uh, you know, you are, you are what your score says you are and the times make the warrior. And they're completely fine with her talking about black people with impunity. But she can't make one mention of this this conversation around Jews. And she can't even like in a Kyrie way. She can't even retweet what somebody else has said about the situation. Who's an actual Jew? Um, and, and so and, and with, with that being said, let's go back to the start of this, because I think people suffer from a, a, a loss of history. When Zionism was first developed, None of the founding fathers of Zionism, Theodore Herzl and and his whole crew, um, wanted the state of Israel to be in the Holy Land. Why? Because they were anti-religious. They didn't they didn't they didn't think there was any necessity for Israel to be in what was considered the biblical Holy Land because they rejected the Bible and they rejected the Torah. Okay, now what they they actually proposed that that the holy that the state of Israel be in a place like Uganda or Patagonia. But by the time World War Two had finished and and, and it came time to uh, actually justify Israel's creation, uh, it made sense to justify it by tying it back to a biblical claim that that God's chosen people were promised this land, even though they had rejected God. And without trying to be um, too hyperbolic here if you want to think about the uniparty there's a there's a there's a panoply of issues where the uniparty shows itself but one of the stalwarts is israel one of the stalwarts of the uniparty mo is israel on one side you got the adl and the identity politics and the and the and the liberal corporatocracy and on the other side you have the military industrial complex and the neocons Right. And all of them are pro-Israel to the max. And it's dangerous for a person like me as a as somebody who aspires to politics to even say that. And in that gives you a a level of proof of how serious the the, uh, you know, the quote unquote conspiracy is, because uh, my fun. uh, Let me give you an example right here in our own in our own town of Minneapolis. 
both sides of the aisle were funded by the same uh, a, a, a similar group of, of Jewish elites. Okay, and and I think and they're anti-Jews. They they don't believe in God. So you know, again, we'll 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 continue to make that distinction for the people who want to, you know, say that we're we're Jew hating. No, they're not Jews, but they they claim to be Jews, and they funded Ilhan Omar as well as they funded Nikki Haley. Okay, so but they're never pro-Trump, right? In in most in most cases, and 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 here's what's important about this. And I love what you wrote in your column about Malcolm X and talking about uh, uh, the Zionist movement perfecting the science of dollarism. Here's what we're talking about. Are we talking about Jews or are we even talking about Israel? No, I'm pro-Israel. I think Israel should continue to exist. We are where we are. These people were promised a land by a power that sat above them, and they've been there for 60 years. They have just as much claim to it as, as anybody else, and they're willing to fight and die for that. And I respect that. I respect that greatly. Um, this isn't about that. This is about how Israel and the Jewish identity is being used in the public discourse, in the geopolitical discourse. And just for example, over the past few days, the U.N. Assembly, the General Assembly voted for Israel to disarm its nuclear arsenal. And guess what? America, Canada and a few other countries voted no. Israel, no, we're not disarming our nukes. In fact, a couple of weeks back, Joe Biden said, if Iran doesn't play ball with the, with the new nuclear deal, we're, we'll go to war with Iran. So not only are we going to have a war in the Ukraine, now we're going to have a war in Iran over, over the nuclear armament. And what next? In Kashmir with, with India and Pakistan or, or India and, Ch- and China? All of these conversations have global, ramif- global implications. And this is why my campaign was, was run on the, on the idea that the global affects the local. This is why these conversations matter. It's not about Ben Shapiro and his opinion. And Ben Shapiro's weak on this issue. And it doesn't matter if you're great on nine other issues. You are what your score says you are on each individual issue. And as people at home, we have to stop uh, being so enamored and so loyal to people who speak out in the public square that we don't take each issue apart for its own merit. Ben is weak on this issue. Candace is right. It's not about Israel. It's not about hating Jews. It's actually to call Jews to stand up and stop allowing themselves to be used the same way Candace has called for black people to stop allowing themselves to be used. It's the exact same thing. I got to go with you when you write and you, you're nailing it. Let me, <clears throat> I'm shocked, shocked or surprised, or I could see it coming, but you know, now it's here and it's staring me in the face. But, but then is a religious Orthodox Jewish person. I'm, I'm sitting here wondering how he cannot see that infringing upon Kanye or Kyrie's religious freedom isn't the same slippery slope that we keep pointing out like, hey, you know, same-sex marriage, that's a slippery slope, and here we are with drag queens in schools. And so this slippery slope, oh, we used to let people like Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali say and think whatever they wanted, we'd put them on TV, we'd debate them, we'd talk with them, we'd try to understand them, but now we're on this slippery, well, nope, that person, Kyrie, let's suspend him. Max Blumenthal shouldn't be platformed. Black, Max Blumenthal's a white Jew. He, <laughs> he, he gets to criticize white Jewish people, I would think, without fear of having to be deplatformed. I'm sitting, why Ben Shapiro can't see this as, as, as 
someone with religious faith that doesn't understand making sure everybody has freedom to practice their religion and think what they want. How is he not making that connection? Because the people have to understand that these issues, these issues are ironclad around this entire agenda. And, and yes, there are there are people from all walks of life that are roped off and, de- and and you could say they're compartmentalized in their own little silo of identity and historical cultural traditions and so on and so forth. But all of this is is essential, essential to the agenda and, and the political status quo since World War Two has been that to question uh, anything having to do with Jews or Israel is completely off limits, even for Jews. So when they when they go after Blumenthal for talking about his own culture, they prove Kanye West right. It's not about a black person being insensitive towards Jews. It's about the the conversation around Jews in Israel being completely roped off for any and everybody, even people who are Jews who live here in America or people who are Jews who live there in, in Israel. Um, and 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 to to go back to the dollarism, why is it important? What is Malcolm X saying that that the that the the science of dollarism has been perfected and and become the anchor of of Zionism. Look at where we are today as a country economically. Set the politics aside. Set the political narrative driven by the media aside. $173 trillion in unfunded liabilities right now today in America. $173 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities. What does that mean? That means the ass is, 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 has fallen off the donkey. That means the bottom is gone. We're all just spinning in the toilet bowl waiting to, to go down the, 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 the pipe. And we don't understand it yet. And much of this cult, much of this WWE narrative, you could argue, has been set in place to keep people distracted until they find a tenable solution. And what we have to wonder and be scared of is what that solution may be. You know, when you when you corner a bank robber, when when a bank robber's cornered and he has nowhere to go, what does he do? He the, the, he starts shooting, or he surrenders. Do we think these people are going to surrender and go quiet? Do we think? And here's another stat: two point five quadrillion, two point five quadrillion dollars in derivative debt that the economists are saying is going to turn into real debt over the next eighteen months. quadrillion dollars of World Bank debt. Guys, it's all over. I mean, let's just be honest. The question is, where do we go from here? Who, where do we go from here and who's going to be in charge of where we go from here, which is why tomorrow's midterm is one of the most important midterm elections in American history, in world history, in modern civilization's history, because there's a there's a financial crisis coming. That's going to have food implications. That's going to have logistical implications. That's going to have medical implications like we've never seen before. Or they create a workaround and you lose your rights in order to never have to feel the effects of it. And that is where the international conspiracy is not a conspiracy. They're writing it right in the Federal Register. They're writing it right in the, uh, Washington, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal. They're writing it in the London Times. The Bank of London's reporting on it. This economic situation is untenable, and it was all stemmed from a banking cartel, an international banking cartel, getting way out over over their skis and doing what they want to do while people were distracted. 
So if I'm connecting all of those dots and relating it to Kyrie Irving, because, I mean, this Kyrie Irving thing just totally just baffles me. How a retweet of a documentary that no one has watched could, could make James Brown, Kyrie Irving's a basketball player, on Sunday before NFL games, James Brown is talking about Kyrie Irving and how, oh my God, any, basically he's saying any criticism, any conversation around Jewish is anti-Semitic. It's like, they gotta get, there seems to be a desperation to get this message out of, boy, don't you talk about this certain group of untouchable people. Yeah. And it seems so manufactured that, that I'm just wondering, it has to be connected to, to what you're talking about and these midterm elections and everything is, is like, and, and there's like, we're gonna enter it into the record that whatever the fallout is of this crash course that the world is on and America's on, there's a certain group of people you better not talk about and you better not blame them. That, that that's, seems to be where this is going and coming from. Okay, and, and he, absolutely, and here's the olive branch. Just, just, just so people understand who are watching this, because these are historic times, th that I'm sincere when I'm saying that this is not about the Jewish people. There is a group of people who don't believe in God who I say do not have a claim to be in Jews because they don't believe in God. But that's a that's that's a that's a secondary spiritual a theological conversation. First and foremost, in the political, you can make the claim that the Jews have been used and have have willingly accepted the fall guy position in a in a global economic experiment. Okay, and in that, because remember now. There was a time in history when the Jews were only allowed to do certain work. Why? Because Christians and Muslims didn't believe in interest. They didn't believe in they didn't believe in usury. Right. Usury was actually forbidden in the Islamic and, and Christian uh, cultural faith and practice. So that's why the Jews got into banking in the first place, albeit the, the way the history is told. Now, were we were any of us there? No. But but that is the the, the accepted uh, uh, historical uh you know, narrative is that Jews got into banking originally because their their interpretation of the faith allowed them to do so. Well, they've carried that for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so you can argue that all of the moral hazard that our nation and our global society has accrued from our own radical materialism now sits on the on the shoulders of the Jews. They, it sits on the shoulders of the Jewish people who have carried the financial reins. And so, yes, what you're seeing is that all of the people who have a vested interest in radical materialism from all walks of life are, are coming together and, and, and um, are coalescing to protect their money exchangers. They're, they're coming together to protect the, the narrative around their bankers. And that's the crown. But it's not just the crown. It's the Saudis. OK, it's it's it's, uh, you know, it's it's the Chinese. Right. It's the Russians. It's the European. It's the other European monarchies. It's us here in the West. It's us here at home in America. There's a reason why the boycott, the NBA trend hit and then it went away. There's a reason why a Malcolm X wouldn't survive today. It's not because uh, uh, it's not just because there's a concerted effort to keep them silent. It's because we accept 
when the system silences them because we want in on it. We want to be rich. We wish we could be uh, uh, Andrew Tate. We wish we could be Jeff Bezos. Our, our inability, our unwillingness to criticize Jeff Bezos with a fair and even hand the way we do Kyrie Irving is a reflection of us wanting to be like him. We would rather be Bezos than we would be Kyrie, so Kyrie gets the short end of the stick and he's expendable. And it's not about him being black. That's just a bonus. That's just a bonus for the whites involved who actually have genuine racism and the other blacks who, who, who are jealous of their fellow black man. Okay, so all of these things are playing in, in, into it at one time, but, but I did want to offer that olive branch on a historical basis to my Jewish brothers and sisters because, uh, you know, I, I understand the way that history unfolds and how we get committed to a position. We get committed to a way of life, and it's very, very, very difficult to turn back. I'm calling for a truth commission. I don't want to round up Jews. I don't want to round up any of these uh, international global public uh, uh, figures or elites who have driven us to the, this position. I call for a truth commission. Let's figure out who did what and what happened and give them forgiveness based on them giving us the information. We need to dig ourselves out of this hole and repair what, what, what we've broken. It's, it's also, Royce, connected to, it, you don't just want a truth commission and I hate to speak for you, but I'm not. I'm just repeating what you've already said previously on this show. You want us all to just come back to God. And that's why Kyrie, I mean, Kanye, what he represents, the Sunday sessions and all that. We, we certainly need to come to Jesus. And if you don't believe in Jesus, just respect for a higher authority. We got to get back to some religious values and culture or we're done. This materialistic, hedonistic, satanic society that we've built. And because you've just hammered one of my major points. I look at all of these alleged pro-black revolutionary freedom fighters and all they're fighting for is the right to be racist bigots. They keep saying they want to put down racist bigots. No, you really just want to be one. You just want things to favor you. You don't want merit to matter. You just want the system to favor you. And that's what I I listen to these. And most of them are idiots. They're out beyond their skis. They're paid opposition. They're MK ultras. They're just told what to do. There's a whole little cabal and they all got the same agent or agency and everybody's on the same message. And but but I, I will say that when Sunday when I'm I'm watching NFL football and James Brown, a Christian, <laughs> one of the classiest broadcasters I know yeah. is is taking Kyrie back to the woodshed and not even man to call him out by name. But he's, it's the same deal. I'm watching him do it, and I'm just like, my head nearly exploded. I was like, is that serious? The retweet of a document is, there's something up. <clears throat> I'm going to give you the final thought, and then we've gone long. i got to get out of here. But final thought, and we gotta, we'll go. Well, my final thought is um, these, these people have to, have to pay a, a price uh, with God, and, and we do have to return to God. And there's no doubt about it. There's no, there's no doubt about the fact that where we are in society is a result of radical materialism and it's a result of, of our fear. Uh, not only our desire to, to have radical materialism and all the things that come along with it, all the, the physical passions and lust that come along with, with uh, wealth, um, but also our fear 
of, of, of laying our life down in service to God and what that would mean and what God may call us to do and how hard it may be to, to, to stay in the grace of God or, or, or be worthy of God's love. But all of that stems from a, a lack of, of theological understanding and, and, and good religious and faithful teaching that God already loves you. <laughs> you know, and, and yes, you can let him down and yes, you can disappoint him, but he still loves you. The, the question is, what are you going to do? What, 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 are, what do you feel called to do in service of that love and grace? And, and, and by and large, you know, not only are we not even playing around in the realm of how we should serve God, we've completely rejected God. I mean, we're so far out over the hill. The only, the only two things that could happen is the Messiah could come return and, and, and put everything back in order, but none of us know the date or time. Or across the world, individually, Christians, Muslims, Jews, people who believe in God, people who believe in, in some, some form of, of higher uh, ethic have to start to come together along a line of, of genuine truth and understanding and band together and fight back against this force. Because, look, the Church of Satan, verified on Twitter. The Satanic Temple, verified on Twitter. What are they going after? What are they what are they promoting? What are they advocating right now? Abortion. Right out in the open. They're going after the abortion bills. The church. Is it by accident that the church of Satan or the satanic temple are going after the abortion topic? Is it by accident that here in Minneapolis, every time I'm on YouTube and I'm watching the show and an ad comes up that was paid for by the Democrat Party? That it's saying that our, our governor uh, Republican candidate or our uh, attorney general Republican candidate or or uh, or the House congressional or the secretary of state is all about abortion. The Democrat Party has hedged its entire midterm strategy on abortion. Now, if that doesn't tell you that you're being scammed in the pocket, first and foremost, I don't know what else will, because they don't even want to talk about the economy. It's like the economy is a is a secondary issue. The first issue is, are you able to kill your baby or not when you want to un or with unlimited access? That's number one. And then we'll talk about Donald Trump. And then we'll go on. I mean, none of it is actually about um, the American people and, and their everyday lives. And Kyrie Irving is just another example of that. They want to keep your focus on some superficial, hyperbolic uh, uh, issue where they can say, this guy right here is your enemy. Focus on him. Whether it's whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's uh, Greenblatt over at the ADL or it's even Ben Shapiro uh, or, 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 you know, it doesn't go further than that. You know, it's Hannity. It's Don Lemon. It's you know, you can go down the list. Focus on Kyrie. Don't watch the inflation. Don't watch the one hundred and seventy three trillion dollars of unfunded liabilities. Don't watch the two point five quadrillion dollars of derivatives and World Bank debt. Keep your focus right on the young black man, black man who plays basketball for a living. Thank you, Royce. Great job. Uh, great show today. Uh, we'll play tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my sister, no relation, we all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving, all the seed when we all want to be 
fight. We want 